We've been looking for the last week or so at the ups and downs of a man called Abraham. Primarily, though, the ups and downs of this man's faith. And today we focus on a part of that journey. Can, by the way, it can be a rocky journey as we seek to be people of faith. But we come to something called selflessness today. Maybe you've heard of it. It's the kind of thing that's not very popular today. And it goes against the very grain of the world and uh, which we live. In fact, uh, we've had to change a lot of terms in order to maybe soften the, the situation when it comes to this. Author Richard Foster once said, What we used to call covetousness, we now call ambition. What we used to call hoarding, we now call prudence. And what we used to call greed... We now call that industry. And there's this insatiable interest and desire within the human heart for self-promotion. We like to put ourselves out there, even those of us that are relatively shy. Now, I'm not terribly shy, but I'm relatively shy. And it's not only a desire just to satisfy our earthly feelings for being somebody and having desires for people to lift us up and exalt us. But it feeds our selfishness in a way that is, well, it's not hard to do. None of us here today struggle very much with this because we're so used to it. Patrick Henry said in his generation, they said, give me liberty or give me death. The next generation simply just changed it to give me liberty. And then most of our society would just simply say, give me, give me. Every sin known to man can be traced back to this root of selfishness. But the marching orders to the church of Christ to honor others above ourselves, that's the mandate that we have. So I want to pick up our study with Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. As we go through this, you're going to see Abraham have some ups and downs. And I want to tell you, you know, if you can't relate to him and his journey, you're not paying a lot of attention to your own journey because it's on every page there's a connection. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 13, Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and his nephew Lot went with him. And as we saw last week, he had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. Now, again, having wealth is no sin in and of itself. Many of the Bible's most prominent characters were well off. But wealth always presents challenges for us. It comes with added pressure, added responsibility. Adam Clark once wrote, when it comes to earthly prosperity, human beings tend to forget heavenly things. And prosperity can become our, you know, a real problem for us. Like a first-class seat on an airplane, and it's the wrong plane. It's a comfortable journey, but it's not taking you where you want to go. And in the 13th chapter of Genesis, we find that Lot, Abraham's nephew, pretty well off himself, was traveling with Abraham. They probably worked together. They had a lot of property, a lot of possessions in a sense. And I want you to see in this 13th chapter of Genesis what it has to say about the progression of selfless behavior. That's what we're striving for. Less of us, more of others. 
And if you want to grow in unselfishness, first, there must be a reverence for God. There's got to be a reverence in your heart for the Lord. In Genesis 13, verse 3, after the whole mess from Egypt we saw last week, we see how Abram had journeyed on to Bethel, where he had once built an altar and worshipped God. And beginning in verse 3, from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel at the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now this is not just a rest stop in his journey. This was a time of reflection. Do you have a Bethel? Do you have a place that you go back to sometimes in your heart and the memories? It was a time when Abraham could give thanks to God for his divine intervention. Abraham had selfishly lied. We saw this last week. Jeopardized not only the safety of his wife, but also the integrity of his witness. But yet God had been merciful to him. And he knew it. And he returns to this special place of remembrance. We need always to show our reverence for God. And we can do it in many ways. Sometimes we display it through giving of our time. Other times we give of our treasures. And other times our reverence is revealed when we give our testimony. And I want to look at all three of these words. And I want you to think about them in your own life. Number one, the sacrifice of your time. In Old Testament times, the people revered not just God, but the very name of God. When scribes would write down uh, the uh, what would soon become our Bible one day, when they would write these things down, it was their job to write down an accurate record of God's activity among his people. But before they would even write down his name, they would, they would go through this elaborate ceremonial cleansing and washing. They would change their clothes, and, and uh, they could not consider themselves pure enough to even write the name of God. It was such an added time thing for them, but nevertheless, it showed their reverence. Imagine that. We seem to be a lot more careless with God's name today. You've shown reverence to God by taking time to be here this morning. First service was a, was a, had a lot of people. And I, I don't know if it's just because you guys want to hear about this sermon or if you like our donuts or what exactly it was. But, but it was, a, and I invited them to stay, but we couldn't have got both groups together in here. Isn't that great? And you know, when that happens, that's like saying, sick them to the dog when it comes to preaching. I could preach all afternoon. But anyway, these men who wrote and and gave us the manuscripts we have drawn the the Bible from were reverent. They showed this every single day. And you've taken time to show your reverence today by being here. And you take time to read his word. You're showing your reverence. You take time to, to share it, to pray. Then you're showing your reverence. Sacrifice of time. Another way to worship is through the sacrifice of our treasures. Now, at this point, the preacher stops preaching and goes to meddling, right? When an altar was built and worship was involved, 
it meant more than just time. It meant money. It meant cost. And if you gave an offering, you sacrificed an animal of value, a healthy animal, one that had no spot, no blemish. Back in 2 Samuel 24, there was an event involving King David. And he was told by a prophet of God in verse 18 of that chapter, he said, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of a guy named Arunah, who was a Jebusite. And so David did. The Bible says, he, he, the Lord has said it, verse 20 tells us, that when Arunah looked out and he saw David coming, David was the king at this time, and they saw him and his men coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. This guy was blown away to get a visit from the king, and so he asked, how can I be of service? What can I do? And when David tells him that he was told to buy Arunah's threshing floor for a place to build an altar to the Lord, listen to verse 22. He said to David, let my Lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the, for the burnt offering. Here's the threshing floor sledges and ox yokes for the wood. See, he's just going to give all this to David as an act of worship. But verse 24 says, the king replied to Arunah, he said, no, no, I insist on paying for it. And this is the, this is the verse. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Does your sacrifice cost you anything? Does it cost you to be a believer? Or do you just kind of blend into the woodwork? See, our salvation came at a price on a hill called Calvary. And when we worship God, it should cost us as well. I read when David Livingston was serving as missionary in Africa, he got a letter from a mission board back in the States. And here's what the letter said. Have you, have you found a good road to where you're working? If so, we have a number of individuals who are willing to come over and help you out. And Livingston wrote this back. If you've got men that are only willing to come over there's a good road then I don't really want them. He said, I want men who are willing to come if there's no road at all. Believers show our reverence not only through our treasures, but also also through our time. And then number three, the sacrifice of our speech. Now, I had to call it tongue so they'd all have to start with T. Okay? You know, I'm a preacher. Sacrifice of our speech, what, what you say to God, what you say to us. The Bible tells us in Genesis 13, 4, that it was at this spot that Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, by the way, I said it honestly that you were going to be looking at the ups and downs of Abraham. All right. He was down pretty far last week. You know, he made some stupid, stupid, stupid decision. But the, let me ask you something. Isn't that like the Christian law? Have you gotten it right all the time? You know, have you have you been successful at obeying all the commandments? You know, when we come to church here, this is not some kind of a, a hotel for the saints. You know, this is a learning place of learning for sinners. We come here today to worship God, but we also give time to hearing from his word so we can avoid some of the stupid things that we do and have done. We don't want to do them again. We need to treat God reverently by what he said. We live in a world that doesn't do this much. We don't use our mouth much to, 
to give honor and reverence to the Lord. Except when maybe we're singing here at church. Maybe you hear people at work say, oh my God. That seems to be a popular phrase among many. It's even like a, an, a I've seen it in a little emoji with just three, three letters, OMG, OMG. Everybody knows what that means. But in the midst of that mindset, do you strive to be distinctive in your speech? Is your language any different from the language of the world? Do you honor God with your words? And in a pagan world where nobody makes a distinction anymore between the profane and the sacred, how do you respond? You know, here's why this is a big deal. When we treat God's name in this way, then we bring our Creator, our Savior, our Lord, we bring Him down to our level. And that's not right. Exodus 20 of the Ten Commandments, commandment number three says this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And in a world that is saturated with the profane, disciplining our speech is, is requires a lot more effort and sacrifice than offering to God sometimes our time or our treasure. But for the thoughtful believer, we've got to do it. So Abraham went back to Bethel, the special place that meant a great deal to him. Do you have a Bethel? As I, as I mention that to you, can you think of a special place where you and God really, really had a good time together? Or when you and God really sat down and seriously had a talk, when you were convicted, when you were, when you were finding yourselves in, in a place where, where because of that time with God, you came away from a better person? That's why we think we take retreats and why we do things. Raina and I are going to slip off for a retreat here in a, in a few days uh, down south to a place called the Potter's House. Isn't that a great name? It's only if you know the Old Testament. How many of you have been there? Some, I know the elders. Some of the elders have been there. Jerry can't remember, but he's been down there. Uh, yeah, um, you know, anyway, it's, just, it's, a, it's a beautiful home out in the middle of nowhere. You go down almost to the Ohio River, and you run out, about ready to run out of Indiana. You'll come to Elizabeth. Indiana. Anybody ever been to Elizabeth? Okay. Well, that's good. I, I have to have a map to get back there every time I go. But what they did is they, they gave this, this elaborate gift some thought. They said, you know, we don't need all the space. Their family has grown and gone and moved. They go back and forth to the mission field all the time. In fact, uh, uh, Scott, Scott is, is the guy that we work with down there. He's one of the sons. He's in Liberia while we're down there. He's doing mission work. But they left their home and leave it open for Christians or conferences. The elders have had retreats there. Nick's had some of the kids down there numerous times for, for uh, youth activities and, and training. And every time we go there, that's like a Bethel to us, to Raina and I. And, and you need those kind of places. You really do. Abraham went back to Bethel, a special place. I've got several of those. I, I don't have a, uh, not so much in Indiana, but I, I have a Bethel in, in the bluegrass state. We had guests this morning that uh, had seen our uh, saturate Indiana, saturate uh, thing we've been doing, saturate USA, the little things we put on people's doors. And we had some people that came to church because of that. And uh, they were such a sweet, sweet group of people. And, and you know where they're from? God is always bringing Kentuckians into your midst. 
He really is. He's trying to tell you something. Yeah, yeah. This is not interactive, by the way. You know, if you're watching from TV, you go on home, at your home, you can say whatever you want to, but no, we can't have that stuff up here. <laughs> oh, I just love losing my place. I just love it. No, my Bethels were, were places in, uh, in, uh, around, in and around Lexington. Uh, my home church, uh, the first little building they had was a, was a Bethel place. And, uh, it was uh, much smaller than what we had. It actually wasn't much bigger than the Maple Grove building over on the Maple Grove Road. And uh, uh, a little fellow a preacher guy named Wayne was talking through the neighborhood about getting people to come to that little church. And, of course, my family did. And, uh, but that's where I was baptized. And so and that's where I, my Boy Scout trip was. And, and we were guilty of being very profane because we would hide and seek under the pews when nobody was around and the Boy Scout master was on the way until the youth pastor found out we were doing that and he quietly crept in and crawled under the pews as well in the dark and began to grab any legs and arms <laughs> that he could. And uh, I remember getting a good nod on my head because he grabbed me and I went right straight up underneath the pew. And, uh, but more important than any of those things, was that, that within that baptistry was where I accepted Jesus on so May 12, 1963. That's one of my Bethels. We had a Christian camp, Bluegrass Christian Assembly, and it was there at that camp that I made a decision for full-time Christian service. And in the life of every believer, you, you got to have those places. You look back, find them if you can't remember. Satan wants to keep us kind of forgetful, but don't lose track of these. They, they had an impact on you then, and over time... If we build, if we can build altar after altar, and each one reminds us of our reverence for the Lord at that time in our life. So important. Then secondly, if we want to make progress in selfless behavior, then you've got to relinquish your rights. It's not just enough to sacrifice, you know, you need to, you need to seriously take a look at what it costs you. I want you to listen to this verse. This is in verse 5 in our text. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for the possessions were so great that they were not able to do that. And so quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. Now these, these large flocks required a large amount of grazing space, and there wasn't enough ground to go around. And notice verse 8, though. Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen or mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll, I'll go to the left. See, Abraham, who was, you know, it was really Lot's uncle, generously gave this younger man choice of the land available and said, I'll take whatever's left. And such a mindset is so foreign in the world we live in today. I mean, everything we hear is about rights. We have rights. Don't trample on my rights. Don't, don't, don't keep me from getting what I rightfully deserve. Seldom do you want to relinquish rights. But you see, this really wasn't a financial loss for Abraham so much. Because when these two agreed to go their separate ways... You know, I mean, it wasn't just finances in a sense, but it was also the fact that Lot chose the well-watered ground. 
And it was an emotional loss. Now, why that? Here's why. You know, the more he thinks about this, Abraham, of course, didn't have any kids. He had no son. For a lot to go in a different direction, as we're going to see in weeks ahead, he made some really bad choices after he left this account. But I would guess that Lot was kind of like a son to him, and, and uh, he loved his nephew. And the next few chapters, we'll see how that, what much that cost him. But Abraham recognized that if the herdsmen are going to be fighting on the first part of the week, then by the end of the week, he and Lot would be fighting. You know, if it's a normal way to people just human relationships. But because Abraham's faith in God for his life, because of that, he accepts what could have been both a financial and an emotional loss. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 3, great verse, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that's exactly what Abraham was doing. He was being selfless. He said, you choose. I'll take whatever's left. And he put to death his own selfish desires. Maybe you heard about the math teacher one time who was assigning some elementary students some fractions. And he called a little boy named Johnny to, who Johnny come from a pretty good sized family and they were, they were poor. And the teacher asked him, suppose your mother made a pie for your family and she sliced it up and there were six people in your family, then what fraction of that pie would you receive? And the boy thought for a moment. In, in, if he'd been born in Kentucky, it would have been terrible because we don't do math there, you know. At least not without your fingers and toes available. But he said, one-fifth to the teacher. And the teacher looked at him and said, oh, wait a minute, you, you know, there were six people in your family. How big a pie, piece of pie would you get? And again, he said, one-fifth. And the teacher said, well, you don't understand fractions. A little boy said, well, you don't understand my mother. Because... She would just say she didn't want any and give us the bigger piece. Aren't you, oh, praise God for mom. It's not even Mother's Day, but we all just you know, thank them. That's the way Lot should have responded when Abraham said, you choose first. But greed began to take over. Extremely wealthy man was recorded as saying one time, how much money does it take to satisfy a person? And the man said, oh, just, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And this is a tough principle for us. How we guard our territory, how we protect our possessions. We hold them close to our hearts. But, but, but Abraham said, you know, I don't care which way you choose. Take whatever you want and I'll take what's left over. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And when you and I become a Christian, when we turn our life over to the Lord as, as our master and our guide, we, we gave up our rights to navigate our own affairs. We have, we have consulting to do now. We must consult. Well, you may think there's a way this seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And if it doesn't lead to death, it can lead to a heck of a lot of other problems. That was a secret Paul said we needed to learn. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
and we relinquish our rights. We need to do that. I shared it before, but it was also a good memory of me at the Christian camp was our youth pastor, Doug Fraley, had uh, been talking all week about our relationship with our brothers and sisters and so on. I didn't have any of those. But uh, he was talking about possessions and if we shared what we thought. And, and, and then he asked the question, what do you think your rights are? Do you have rights? Well, you know, when you're 13 or 14 years old, you've got a list, you know. You know, I, feel, I, feel right, I have a right to not have my parents wander into my room without permission. Now, that's kind of stupid if your parents are providing a place to live, you know, right? Amen. That's why I never said it to my dad. <laughs> and I never said it to dad because I knew he wouldn't care. But the reality is, you know, we have to be sensitive. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, what are my rights? What are, I had several things I was writing down, you know, and then, then we got them all done. I thought we were going to share them or something. And he said, no. He said, I want you to, to take these rights and throw them into the campfire. And I thought, well, that's counterproductive. <laughs> so in the fire they went. And then he turned to us and quietly said, you know, when you're a Christian, if you will surrender your rights to God, many, many, many times God will return them to you in the form of privileges. Ah, yeah. oh, it's different, isn't it? A privilege is different yes. from a right. I still remember that to this day. didn't like it, but I still remember it to this day. And Abraham said to his nephew, no, you choose first. I'll take whatever's left. So the Lord said to Abram, and by the way, this is the reward. This is the last one. There's a reward for being faithful. There's a relinquishing of rights. Then there's a reward for the faithful. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Now granted, keep in mind, this guy's still childless. And with all the terrible things he did last month, he was going to stay that way for a long time, apparently. But back in that patriarch's day, success was often measured by how much livestock you had, how much land you possessed, and the size of your family. And by faith, Abraham took God at his word when he said, you, you will have all this land because of your selflessness. You'll have all these descendants. Now remember, he still doesn't have any children yet. He has no son, yet God says to this man in his 80s, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. Now, don't miss this part of the message. When you and I begin to live for God and honor others above ourselves, it does not mean that we're going to instantly be rewarded with possessions and family and land. But it does mean that someday we'll hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you're selfless, You may not catch the world's attention, but you will be rewarded. Sometimes the rewards come quick. Other times you have to wait a while. And sometimes they'll come in the form of wealth, or other times they come in the form of character building, which should be even more valuable to you. Sometimes the rewards come in the form of victory, and other times maybe in the form of defeat. And as we grow and we learn, we deepen because of the experience. But regardless, someday... God will have all eternity to reward us for our faithfulness. So in short, there comes a time in life when you and I must loosen, loosen our grip 
on the things this world says are important. Things like positions, possessions, power, and prestige. And as John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. You see, in this world, we have it all backwards. The world thinks that we ascend the ladder of greatness. We ascend the ladder of success. Just keep climbing higher, higher, and higher. But for the Christian, we descend the ladder. For there's no position in the kingdom of heaven any higher than that of a servant. And as great as Abraham was, he pales in comparison to the example of Jesus in the New Testament. See, in our world, we love the story of the self-made man. We think that's great. Poor boy who makes it big, rags to riches kind of thing. But there's one story that's better than that. It's the riches to rags story. A perfect person leaving the perfection of heaven and willingly coming down to an imperfect earth. And to understand the depths of his humility, he will go all the way back to Genesis 1. We read where God says, let us make man in our own image. He doesn't say, let me make man in my own image. No, did you notice that God didn't say that? He said, let us make man in our image. Jesus was right there with the Father. The Spirit was right there with the Father. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They were one and the same. And this means that when Jesus came to earth as a little baby, the Creator became the creature. He said goodbye to all the indescribable blessings of heaven and took on the limitations of human flesh. And he suddenly needed to sleep and he suddenly needed to eat. He had to walk places and travel among mere humans who have not one single bit of ability to notice the divinity of the one they're walking along beside. He no longer walked among the angels who cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Almighty worthy is the Lamb. And God's Son found Himself rubbing shoulders with the likes of us, we creatures. Created in His image, yes, but they did not shout and speak to Him and say, worthy is the Lamb. That's not what they say. They say, don't bother us, Jesus. Who are you to tell us how to live? People in our hometowns tried to throw Him off a cliff. Soldiers spit in His face. Pontius Pilate stood before Jesus and said, I have the power to save you and destroy you. And in one of the few words he spoke to the man, he just says simply, you have no authority over me at all if it had not been given from above. What Jesus was really saying was this, make no mistake, you are not taking my life, Pilate. I'm giving it up willingly, unselfishly. I'm descending the ladder I'm descending and relinquish my rights for such people just like you. So my question is, as we go through this, can you, can you begin to catch a glimpse of the violent transition that took place when the Word became flesh, the Word of God, and came down to dwell among us? You see, it's not just the selflessness of Christ coming to earth to live. It's also the selflessness of Christ coming to die. Which is why the Apostle Paul says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now what was that? Well, he, being in very nature God, did not consider 
equality with God, something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Riches to rags. Jesus left the hails of heaven for the nails of Calvary. Robert Frost once wrote, and I'll close, Two roads diverge in the woods, and I took the route less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And Jesus would agree with Robert Frost, I think. He wants you to know this morning that the pathway to selflessness is not a crowded place. Actually, it's quite narrow, according to Jesus. But if you'll take that path, it will lead you to a cross. And there you will see a perfect Savior who died so that you could live, who allowed you to make the choice of who will be first in your life. Will it be Christ or will it be you? And he's enabled that for you today to be your call. He never forces us. It's your call. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for yet another opportunity to share your words of encouragement with God's people. And I pray, Father, that you will help us now to leave this place and not just move on to the next event, but that we will reflect, that you will give us the, uh, the prompting, just with your Holy Spirit, would nudge us to reflect upon what this particular word from your Scripture has to say to our particular situation where we work or where we live or in our household. And Father, help us to, to be able to learn selflessness from you because you're a much better teacher than this old world is. And so, Father, I thank you for the reminder as we continue to watch this amazing character, Abraham, as he's up one minute and down the next, help us to recognize ourselves and what we're going to be discussing in the next few weeks yet and help us just remember our options. Everything we do for you, Lord, is going to bear fruit in amazing, amazing ways. But everything we do for ourselves will ultimately just pass away. May we walk with you closely because we need your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.